Uh, last Sunday, the leadership team obviously was not here. Uh, we were busy working for you guys, working for the city, working for the kingdom of God. Amen. Trying to discern His will for the coming year. And I think we, we accomplished that. In fact, I know we have. And I look forward to presenting those things as we move forward into 2024. Amen. I want to thank Bishop. He's not here with us. He's visiting family. I want to thank him for uh, ministering the word of the Lord last Sunday. Amen. Let's all stand. I'd like to thank each and every one of you for your faithfulness to the house of God, your faithfulness to the word of God. Amen. I don't take that for granted. I think that's a I think that's an amazing thing when someone's here day in day out just doing the boring things. One of the things we talked about during our leadership retreat is a lot of churches they want to they want to do the the big productions and they focus a lot of stuff on on the the, the Hail Marys and the uh the trick plays and but it's the, it's the four-yard carries that win football games. Uh, it's, the, it's the day in, the day out, the boring, the average, the ordinary, uh, service after service, prayer after prayer. But that's what wins wars. That's what wins the battle for us. Amen. That's what moves us forward. Praise God. And that's what each and every one of you are doing, day in and day out. Every time you kneel in prayer, every time you crack open the Word of the Lord, just to study it one more time, you're moving forward in the kingdom of God advancing His kingdom. And I can't thank you enough for your, each and every one of your faithfulness. Praise God. Let's go before Him. Let's touch the throne of grace today. We have an opportunity that He has given us. Amen. I don't know where a lot of you are at. I don't know if you're having a great day, a bad day, something in between, good week. I don't know. But I know that whatever kind of week we've had, whatever kind of day we're having, when we come into His presence, it's always great. It's always wonderful. Because, see, God never has a bad day. He's always living victory. He's always living successfully. Amen. And through Him, we can experience those victories and those successes as well. Praise God. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I worship You. I am so thankful for You. I am so thankful for this opportunity You've given us here now to enter into the very throne room of God, to touch the hem of Your garment if needs be, to receive of You all that I have need of. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am in need this morning. We are in need, the people of God. And I pray in Jesus' name that You would minister to each and every need in this place, that we would receive our needs met in You that our hope and our confidence would be in the Lord our God and in You only. Hallelujah, Jesus. That we wouldn't look to the the Pharaoh of Egypt. That we wouldn't look to the kings around us. But that we would look for help in the Lord our God. That our trust and our faith and our hope would be in You. Hallelujah, Jesus. Because You are altogether faithful. Hallelujah. You will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Your promises are yea and amen. Those are... Those promises we stand on this morning. We claim each and every one of them. Thank You, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank You, Lord, for all that You have in store for us. Minister, I pray, let Your will be accomplished in this place. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated. Our young adults class will be up here this morning. Uh, Brother DeMuth is playing hooky. Pray for him. Uh, he's, he's away at work. Amen. Pray for him. Pray for Bishop and his wife. They're out of town. Continue to lift them up in prayer. Amen. By way of review, last week uh, we, we heard about everlasting life. What a hope we have in Jesus, folks. We don't understand eternity. We can't. There's no possible way that our finite human minds can fully grab. We, we know what the word means. We know what the concept is trying to relate. We can give a definition of it. But we can't fully grasp the, the, the fullness of what that means. Forever. But that's exactly what we're promised. Everlasting life. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. This abundant life, we've heard many sermons on it. I know I have. It obviously doesn't always mean financial success. But those that have financial success, when I look at their lives, I wouldn't call that abundant by any stretch of the imagination. People that give themselves over to seeking riches and, and fame and, and glory and, and worldly success. The things that they give up, the things that they sacrifice to achieve those things, it's never worth it. But abundant life in Christ... That's the life for me. Bishop said this, and I thought, it was, I thought it was an excellent point to make. Everything in a Christian's life flows from the understanding of who Jesus Christ is. That's where everything starts for us. And I think that's a potent point to make. If we have a lack of understanding of who Jesus Christ is, if our, if our understanding is, is wrong in any way, if we misunderstand who Christ is, who God is, at best, we're going to be led down a wrong path. We're trying to emulate this one. We're trying, we're trying to move forward and, and become like this person, this God, this Jesus. And if our understanding is lacking, we're going to end up in a wrong spot. 2 Timothy 1.12, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says this, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And this is why he's not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The reason he was persuaded is because he knew who God was. He had a proper understanding of who Jesus was. And because of that, he was not ashamed. He was not afraid. He was never uh, anxious or worried about anything. He went through persecution, test and trial, just as simple as you please. Now, I'm not making light of anything that he went through by any stretch of the imagination. He went through it, folks. We know that. He listed just a few things that he endured for the sake of Jesus Christ. Those were hard things. But they were light things to Paul. Lasting but for a moment. Because of the hope he had in Jesus Christ. Something else Bishop said was follow the pattern God has given to us. That's another important point to make. 
We always want to reinvent the wheel. We always want to try to do it differently, do something new. And nothing wrong with that. Jesus Himself, God Himself said He's, he's going to make all things new. He's going to do a new thing in our midst. And I want to see that. I want to continue to see that. But if He's given us a specific pattern to follow, folks, we need to follow it. There are sometimes He'll tell us what He wants done, and He'll let us figure out how to do it. And that's fine. Other times, He'll tell us how He wants it done. And in those cases, we need to follow the pattern. We see many scriptural uh, examples of that. When He gave Noah the pattern of the ark, He wasn't able to build just any old boat. He had to build it according to the pattern. When Moses received the Ten Commandments, he also received the plan for the tabernacle. Very, very specific plans which needed to be followed. That leads us to New Testament salvation. He's given us a plan for salvation. A plan whereby if we submit ourselves in, in obedient faith to it, we will receive salvation. We will enter into a covenant relationship with God. But only if we follow the pattern. We don't get to pick and choose how we approach Jesus Christ. We don't get to choose how we enter into a covenant with God. He does. And He's let us know very plainly. Amen. Our daily devotions. Day one, we shouldn't mature slower than God intends. We all understand that. But we shouldn't mature faster either. Now it's true that, and I believe this, the the more that we uh, give ourselves to God's processes in our lives, the more we focus uh, our energies, our attention, our, our, our strength on doing what God wants us to do and moving forward in Him, the better off we're going to be. I would never counsel someone to just sit on a pew and hope for the best. I would suggest take an active role in your growth. Take the initiative. Move forward. Put some effort into it. The more effort we put in, the more we're going to get out of it. But on the other hand, there are people that they want to jump into the deep things of God before they've established a foundation in their lives. For me at least, I need a framework to hang things on. If I don't have that, it's really difficult for me to understand what's going on. You can tell me which button to push and which which lever to, to turn. And I'll do that, but I really need to know why I'm doing that. What does that lever do? Why am I pressing that button? When should I press that button? When it comes to the things of God. Don't try to take the flower bud and force it open. Let God do that. Each individual matures at their own pace, and that's fine. If you're not maturing as fast as someone else, and you're putting in the effort... Friend, don't worry about it. You just measure yourself against yourself. You measure yourself against Scripture. Compare yourself to Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's what all of us are are working toward. I'm not comparing myself to you, and you're not comparing yourself to me. You're not wise in doing that. Day two, keep every part of the law. Keeping every part of the law, but refusing to obey one part makes us guilty of all of it. James 2.10 says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offended one point, he's guilty of all. Conversely, obeying the entire plan of salvation, but leaving one part out, is no salvation at all. 
Follow the pattern, folks. All of it. You leave one part of salvation out, it's, not, it's no salvation at all. It takes all of it. We've got to follow the pattern as we've received it for us to receive benefit from it. We can't pick and choose which parts to obey. Like the Word of God. I can't pick and choose which Scriptures... I can't pick and choose which Scriptures I want to preach out of. I don't get that option. I don't get to choose which Scriptures I'm going to obey. Amen. I receive all of it. Day three. There's a stark contrast between an intellectual acknowledgement and understanding of God and a complete transformation that takes place when one submits themselves in obedience to Christ. Amen. I give the example of C.S. Lewis. Fascinating life history. He's a fascinating individual. I love, his, I love reading his works. But, there was a point in his t- period in life where he was an atheist. He couldn't believe, he looked at the world around him. And he couldn't believe that a God is loving and God is all-powerful. That He let all this stuff happen. He came to the point where he understood intellectually that God must exist. But it wasn't until he surrendered himself or he submitted himself to the plan of God that he began to have a relationship with Him. Amen. We understand that when we adhere ourselves, when we submit ourselves to the plan of salvation, we baptized in Jesus' name, we repent of our sins, we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that we are made a new creature. Everything is passed away. All things are become new. It is a supernatural act. This act of transformation. It's miraculous. It's not an act of the will. The transformation part isn't. Coming to that point is. Day four. Salvation is not possible outside of Jesus Christ. Period. Some people don't like that. Some people think that's elitist. That that's closed-minded. I don't care. That's what Jesus said. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes unto the Father except by Me. He's the only way to be saved, folks. We can't save ourselves any more than a forest fire can put itself out. Now, it can burn itself out, but it can't put itself out. And I can't save myself. I can reform myself. I can discipline myself to be good, to be nice. But my nature will not change, no matter how hard I try. I'm still a sinner at heart. Only God can change that. Only God can give me a new heart. Someone has to come along and put the fire out for us. Day 5. Jesus in the revelation of who He is is a bright spiritual light that shines into the darkness, illuminates it, and reveals the truth to us. Amen. And when we refuse to walk in that light, and we choose darkness, because our deeds are evil, the Bible says, we condemn ourselves. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We choose it. We choose an eternity separated from God. We didn't want anything to do with God while we were living. 
Why would he force us to spend eternity with him? Right? I think that makes sense. But in any case, the choice is ours. That's the power of free moral agency. Our scripture text for today. Today we're going to be talking about the mighty God in Christ. The mighty God in Christ. And our scripture text is John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. John chapter 3, 22 through 36. Scripture says this. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. John was also baptizing in Aon near to Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men are come unto him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing, except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that, he that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Amen. In his historical novel, The Virtues of War, author Stephen Pressfield recounts a fictional meeting between Alexander the Great and a philosopher. Alexander the Great had conquered the the then-known world, easy for me to say, and was a powerful leader heralded and feared by countless subjects. Pressfield posed that the famous emperor encountered a philosopher on a riverbank, and the two men engaged in an argument over who had the right to proceed across the river first. One of Alexander the Great's men exclaimed, This man has conquered the world. What have you done? The philosopher replied, I have conquered the need to conquer the world. Like Alexander the Great, it's easy for us, even as followers of Christ, to become intoxicated by pride and ego. We may even find ourselves engaged in spiritual pursuits for carnal reasons. John the Baptist is such an intriguing figure because he was willing to let his ministry be diminished so Jesus could be glorified. In John 3.30, he summarized the goal of his ministry by saying, He must increase, but I must decrease. From that point forward, John the Baptist faded into the background while Jesus took center stage. John's words and actions testified that he had conquered the need to be in the spotlight. He chose the path of humility, knowing it was the only way for God's kingdom to be advanced on earth. Contrast John the Baptist's example with what we, what we routinely see happen with today's celebrity-crazed, spotlight-craving culture. 
Many professional athletes attempt to hang on past their prime, unwilling to accept that they are no longer capable of competing at an elite level. That happens a lot today. They seem more concerned about stroking their ego than the success of the team. Politicians continue to seek re-election even when it is clear they no longer possess the strength and energy to fulfill the duties of the office. I'm sure some people can come into mind there. They live off yesterday's achievements, not considering whether they are able to adequately represent the needs of their constituents in the present. May God help us to put His kingdom first, to understand that our personal ambitions must be laid aside so Jesus Christ can be glorified. The spotlight will not always shine our way. Sometimes we must be content to live and minister in the shadows, confident in the knowledge that God's plan will be accomplished, even when we don't get recognition. All right. So, many of the difficulties we face in ministry, indeed, even living for God, the difficulties we face stem from three general areas. One, we lack understanding of who God is. We've touched on that. We'll touch on it some more. Two, we lack understanding of who we are. Three, we lack understanding of what God has called us to do. Generally speaking, it's one of these three things or a combination that gets us in trouble. If we could resolve these three issues, by and large, I submit to you that your troubles would largely go away. Your struggles trying to serve God, your struggles trying to understand why and how and when would disappear. When we look at the life of John the Baptist, he seems to have numerous advantages, at least ministerially. Both Isaiah and Malachi announced centuries in advance that John would be the forerunner of Israel's Messiah. In Isaiah 43, we read, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And in Malachi 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger... And he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Wouldn't it be nice and easy if each and every one of us found our names prophesied in Scripture? This is who you're going to be. This is what you're going to do. I'd make it easy. John's birth was foretold by an angel who informed Zacharias, his father, what the baby's name would be. Luke chapter 1, verse 13 says, The angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. I mean, this is, this is too easy. He's raised by devout parents. Luke 1, 6 says, They are both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Jesus was his relative. And Jesus even commended John to those around him. Matthew 11.11 says, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How could you go wrong with with a pedigree like this? I mean, this is... This is the recipe for success, folks. 
This is the guy you want preaching general conference. This is the guy you want preaching because of the times. Amen. This is the guy you call when you want revival. This guy's got it going on. This guy was endorsed by Jesus himself. But none of these things saved John from experiencing the ugly side of life and ministry. John, while in prison, he went to prison because of what he preached. He began to doubt if he had correctly identified the Messiah. Understand that. This guy that was prophesied in the Old Testament. This guy that was announced by angels. This guy that was endorsed by Jesus himself started to doubt the very tenets of the doctrine that he propagated. That'd be like us starting to doubt Acts 2.38. Do we really need the Holy Ghost? Do we really need to be baptized in Jesus' name? Or am I looking for something else? Are you the one that was to come? Or should we look for another? Shortly after that, John was killed at the whims of Herodias. You can read that in Matthew chapter 14. But John was faithful through all of it. How? Because he understood his place in God's kingdom. He understood God's plan. Amen. Second service is going to be celebrating Veterans Day. Just a heads up. When you're a when you're a service member, doesn't matter if you're Army or Air Force or Marine or Army's better, but uh, Navy, Navy, Navy's got it going on. They got the seals. Amen. Mad respect for the seals. But uh, anyway, when you're a lowly private. You don't generally have the picture that the general does or the admiral. You don't have the same, the same picture. Of course, you don't have the same responsibilities either. The general or the admiral, he's got a big picture, right? In my case, as a private, I received my instructions from my sergeant. He had a bigger picture than I did. He had to manage all the people in our, our squad, our section. The platoon guy, he had to handle all of those sections. The first sergeant, he had to handle the whole company. And on and on and on it goes. In World War II, when the private was told, you need to take Hill 4772. Why? Why am I going to sacrifice my life for a piece of dirt 100 by 100 feet? Is my life worth that? Well, when you put it like that, probably not. But if the private understands that I may not have the big picture, but this is, my, this is what my responsibility is in this war. This is what I need to accomplish to move the war effort forward. If I accomplish this, we're one step closer to winning this thing. 
I don't know exactly how, but I know that if I do this, we're, we're moving forward toward our objective. Understanding that is it's an entirely different process. It's an entirely different way to look at it versus my life's not worth a 100 by 100 foot piece of dirt. I agree. <laughs> it's not. <clears throat> but winning the war, that might be. So, understanding that the big picture is God's. And when we understand our part in that picture, when, we understand, when I understand what my part is in advancing the kingdom of God forward, it could be something as, as seemingly mundane as scrubbing a toilet. But if we've got filthy toilets, what is that going to say about our church? What's that going to what, what's that communicate to our visitors? We want those things spotless. That might be my part in advancing the kingdom of God. John understood his place in God's kingdom. He understood what God's plan was, at least his part of it. Amen. It's been said that ministry is measured by three metrics, bodies, bucks, and buildings. Now, I doubt, I highly doubt these are the best criteria by which to to measure a ministry. But it is true that no one is excited about people exiting the church. No one gets excited about that. They get excited about people coming in. All of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. And therefore, most ministry leaders spend a great deal of time and effort trying to close the back door, as it were. Trying to keep people from leaving. John's ministry team was apparently no different. Early in John's ministry, it was beautiful. All of Israel was coming out to hear him preach. Can't get any better than that. Most people would look at John and say, John has a successful ministry. He's getting it done. People are coming out. People are getting baptized. Everything's happening with John. Later on, though, people were leaving his church and joining the church across town. Jesus' church. John 3.26 says, They came to John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, speaking of Jesus, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John was preaching to less and less people, because they were all going to where Jesus was at. Now, I understand the analogy falls apart because it's Jesus we're talking about. But, it can be difficult sometimes when we observe somebody else appear, particularly, who seems to be achieving raging success. Meanwhile, we're just kind of in the background struggling, trying to make something happen. It could be a ministry. It could be something at work. It could be anything. It can be difficult for us to see others succeeding while we're not. Let's consider for a moment why that is. One, we fail to understand who God is. Two, we fail to understand who we are. 
And three, we fail to understand God's plan for us. If we understood these three things, folks, we would never again struggle with other people's quote-unquote success. Which brings up an interesting point. What is success? How do we define success? Bodies, bucks, and buildings? Is that success? I hope not. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I know that is what a lot of people use for a definition of success. But I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. Therefore, I cannot accept that answer. I can't. How about faithfulness? Is that a good definition of success? If John was bothered by these turn of events, he certainly didn't show it. Because he answered and said this, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. And this is a reality that a lot of people find hard to accept. I did for a very long time. But when I did, that was a weight off of my back. We're not responsible for the results. We are only responsible to be faithful. To fulfill the calling that He's placed on our lives. That's what we're responsible to do. I can't save anybody, but if I'm called to teach Bible studies, I can teach Bible studies. If I don't teach Bible studies, then that's on me. But if I teach Bible studies and no one comes, I can't fill people with the Holy Ghost. I can't give revelation of truth. I can present it in the best way I know how, in the most loving way I know how. I can pray for them that they do receive revelation. I can do all of those things, and I I do, and I will. But at the end of the day, it's God that gives the revelation. It's God that fills people with the Holy Ghost. It's God that gives people a place of repentance unto salvation. I can't do that. I'm not responsible for that, and neither are you. What we are responsible to do, those things we do. Those things we take care of. John realized that despite this exodus of people, he had fulfilled God's purpose in his life. That this was the perfect will of God for him. When everyone was coming out to hear him preach, that was the will of God for him then. And while he had those people's attention, he was faithful to the call of God. He announced the coming Messiah. He got them ready. He prepared the way. When the way was prepared, when his mission was accomplished, it's time to move on, John. Your job is done. I see nothing wrong with that. I'm looking forward to spiritual retirement. I'm looking forward to hear Jesus saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to keep working down here for 200 more years. I want to go home. I do. I'm going to stay faithful to God while, while he's, he's leaving me here. But when He calls me home, I'm going to be ready to go home. Amen. When He says your job is done, it's done. You did it. It's time to come home. Amen. I'm ready. 
This was also an acknowledgement that his previous success in ministry, quote-unquote, was the result of God's blessing and not his own human ability. And this is, this is something we get confused too. some people. When things are going great, look at everything I'm doing. When things are falling apart, God, what are you doing with your church? Well, it's his church or it's not. It's all you or it's not. Which one is it? I can't have it both ways. It's got to be the result of God's blessing. God had given John a large audience so he could announce the Messiah. And John was faithful in his calling. Once he had completed his assignment, the attention shifted to where it belonged. On Jesus Christ. Our job is to point people to the Messiah, not to be their Messiah. And this, again, is hard for some people to grasp. Because that can be a drug for some people. That can be addicting for some people. They really need me. I'm needed. Well, don't become so needed in someone's life that they come to you for everything and not God. You're not God. You're not their Savior. I'm not their Savior. None of us died for them. Our job is to point to the one who did. That's our job. And when they start relying on Him and less on you, folks, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Let that happen. You'll find someone else that needs you. God will bring someone else into your life. Catch and release. That's the plan, right? Catch and release. Amen. John 3.28 says, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before Him. John understood this well. Ministry becomes much more manageable when we remember who we are and who we are not. What our calling is, and what our calling is not. Amen. Former University of Notre Dame football player and motivational speaker Rudy Rudiger, I think, said this, I have learned two things in my life. One, there is a God. And two, I'm not Him. Have you ever taken on or have been tempted to take on more than you can handle? Thanksgiving is coming up pretty soon. I always seem to end up doing this every Thanksgiving. I'm hungry, folks. I grab a big plate of everything. And then, halfway through, I start realizing I can't finish this. Eyes are bigger than my stomach. That's exactly right. We can do that in a lot of areas in our life. We can start saying yes. Yes to people. Yes to situations. Yes to things. Good things. Necessary things. But just remember, you're not God. You can't do it all. I can't do it all. Only God can do it all. No is your friend. 
if you are tempted to just say yes to everything, you will get burned out. And then you're no good to anybody. In an airplane, the masks drop, what do they tell you? Put it on you first. Why is that? That's right. Because you're no good to anybody when you're gasping for air yourself. Then you're the one that needs help. Versus being able to help someone else. So just keep that in mind. You want to be able to help other people. So sometimes no is the right answer. The friend of the bridegroom. John 3.29 says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. In a wedding ceremony, each role is clearly defined. We understand that even in our extra-biblical wedding ceremonies. Amen. (laughs) Roles are clearly defined. We know what the maid or matron of honor is supposed to do. If they don't know... I'm sure the bride is going to let them know. This is what you're responsible for. The best man. This is what you're responsible for. The groom, all he's got to do is show up. Thank God. Amen. Even then I was scared to death. (laughs) That's all I had to do. Barely did that. Guests are expected to conduct themselves in a manner that does not attract undue attention. The bride and the bridegroom are the focus of the ceremony. They are the main event, particularly the bride. If I'm doing something crazy and I'm wearing outlandish garb and, and, hey, everyone, look at me, that's rude. It's not my ceremony. It's their ceremony. You should be paying attention to them. It's their big day. John tells us that in the kingdom of God there was only one bridegroom, and that's Jesus Christ. The rest of us are present to celebrate Him. John, being the friend of the bridegroom, was excited about the expansion of God's kingdom, even though his personal star was waning. He said, This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. You all need to look at Jesus now. You all need to go to his camp now. My job is done. What a graceful exit that is, huh? I marvel at uh, ministries, pastors, others, when they come to the realization that my time is done here. We need to find... Uh, the next person that God has for this congregation. I think that's an awesome thing. And the transition is smooth and it's easy and and there's there's relatively little stress and, and strain put on the congregation in that sense. I think that's an awesome thing. God God help me that when my time comes with the Lord Terry, I'm able to do that too. Because that's the right thing to do. When your job is done, folks, it's done. If God is transitioning you to something else, transition to something else. Many Christians wrestle with envy and resentment when they see God blessing someone. Let's hold off on that for a second. Getting back to the sports players. 
going well past their prime. There are pastors that do that too. There are ministers that do that as well. They're not really supposed to be there anymore. But they keep going because what else am I going to do? You're going to do whatever God wants you to do next. That's what you're going to do. I don't, I don't understand uh, how someone can... Anyway. <clears throat> we shouldn't envy, we shouldn't be resentful when God starts blessing someone else. And when that minister does step down and does retire or does move on and someone else steps in and starts doing great things and God starts using them mightily, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. That's what the elder minister ought to be expecting, ought to be desiring. Amen. Shepherd that congregation for... Some, some people are there for 40, 50 years before they finally step down. They put their life's work into that congregation. Sweat and blood and tears. They should want to see that prosper and grow and move forward. Amen. <coughs> anyway. There's only one star of the show, and that's Jesus Christ. No one else. No one else deserves the glory. No one else should have the glory. All eyes should be pointing to Jesus Christ. Whenever anyone steps behind this pulpit, it should be to direct someone to Jesus Christ. He's the one that saves. He's the one that died for you. He's the one that loves you more than you'll ever comprehend. He's the one that will always stick by you, will always protect and defend and, and provide everything that you have need of. He's the one, folks. No one else will do that for you. Amen. I can't do that for you. I couldn't even take care of my own stuff. How am I going to take care of yours? I'll continue to say, in myself, i got nothing for you. I don't have anything for me. I need God too. Only Jesus is worthy of that. Let your eyes be fixed on Him. Let your attention be fixed on Him. Let your hope and your confidence be placed in Him. Amen. He will never let you down. I promise you that. When someone else wins or is blessed, we should all celebrate because we're all on the same team. We're all fighting the same war, the same battle. Amen. When a Marine unit is dispatched and they have a raging success against the enemy, I don't be, man, why can't I be doing that? Why would I be doing that? When they win, I win. If they keep getting victories, I go home sooner. That's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. If the church down the street is having great success, that's a good thing. The kingdom of God is being advanced. That's the goal. We're not building our kingdom. We're building His kingdom. Amen. And when we keep it fixed on Him, when we keep it focused on Him and what He's doing, what He wants done, it's easy. It's easy to maintain that. I get excited when other people have victory reports. I wasn't always like that. I did struggle with this from time to time. Not so much anymore. Because again, I understand. I'm not responsible for the results. I'm responsible to be faithful. 
what God has called me to do. The results are in His hands. We're all on the same team. John 3.31 says, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Okay, so this is a very important distinction. There are all kinds of distinctions we could make between us and Jesus. He is from above, and He's above all. We're from the earth. We're on the earth. Again, big picture, very tiny picture. He knows everything. We know precious little. But what we need to know, He'll let us know. If we don't know it, uh, Mills Fleet Farm. I used to work with a person. She'd always say, they don't have it, you don't need it. <laughs> if God doesn't let you know, you don't need to know. That's not for you to know. Don't worry about it. Do you need to know something? He'll let you know. You're going to know everything you need to know to get your job done. Praise God for that. Do I want to know what time and by what method He's going to call me home? Absolutely not. I definitely don't want to know that. Because if I did know that, I'd probably try to change that. I'd be tempted to to rig it. He'll let me know what I need to know to get my job done. Jesus speaks and testifies of what He has seen in heaven. While we can only speak of our very limited earthly perspective. As human creatures, we can only offer earthly solutions to spiritual problems. Many, many situations we face, folks, are at at the end of the day spiritual in nature. We see the physical results of, of what's going on in the world today. The political climate, the cultural climate, we see all of that manifest in the physical But those are spiritual conditions. Those originate in the spirit realm. All we can offer is earthly solutions. Elect a new leader. Start protesting. Whatever it might be. Nothing wrong with those things. You definitely should go out and vote. You want to protest abortion or or whatever. Do so lawfully. Go ahead. My point, though, is that that's an earthly solution to a spiritual problem. The spiritual solution is prayer and fasting. The spiritual solution is start winning people to the Lord. We win enough people to the Lord and get their minds transformed, renewed. We won't have to worry about that. Jesus is uniquely qualified to do what we cannot do. Only Jesus can save us from our sins. Only Jesus can deliver us from the bondage of sin and death. Only Jesus can solve the problems that are impossible for us to solve. John 3.34 says, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Jesus had the Holy Ghost without measure. We have it with measure. We have the earnest of our inheritance. He possessed it in fullness. We need to respond to our place in the kingdom with humility. 
John 3.35 says, The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into His hand. But we understand that Jesus, who possesses all things, has chosen to work in and through us. That should instill in us a deep and reverent sense of humility. That comes back to understanding who Jesus is. Is He the guy upstairs? Is He J.C.? Is He the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Is He my Savior and my Redeemer? I need to know who this Jesus is. And when I understand, when I begin to comprehend who it is that I serve, who it is that loves me, who it is that suffered on a cross and died for me, it wasn't just some Joe Smut that got plucked out of the crowd and thrown on a cross. It was the King of Glory that was on the cross. It was the one that spoke everything into existence, who formed me when I was in my mother's womb. If I understand who it was that hung on the cross, if I understood who it was that wants to partner with me, to work with me, His will in this economy, this this world, I'm filled with, with awe and wonder and humility that He would deign to reach down to me. But He has, and He does, and He will. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And I'm still contending that I... You, we don't really understand who we are in God. We don't. I think if I did understand who I was in God, God would be able to do a whole lot more through me. I'm working on it. I'm seeking God over that. God's showing me some things. But they are hard to... They're hard sayings. God didn't need us to work out His plan, but He has graciously chosen to invite us to work together with Him. I will never fail to be amazed at that. That God wants to work with me. That God wants to partner with me. That will always blow my mind. Whatever God accomplishes or doesn't accomplish through us, we know that Jesus is the only reason we're here being used in the first place. It doesn't matter what He does through me or doesn't do through me. All that matters is that He's going to use me somehow. I'm a part of this great big plan that He has. I'm one small part, perhaps. It doesn't matter what size part. I'm a part of this plan. And God has called me by name. He knows who I am. And He wants to use me in this area. This particular area of service. And He wants to use you in this particular area of service. That's an awesome thing. He didn't need us. He could have done all this Himself. He could have sent angels to do it. But He didn't. He sent you. And He sent me. And He desires to, be, to, be, to work through us. To work through His church. To work through His body. His perfect will. 
And it doesn't matter what He does or doesn't do in our lives. It doesn't matter what, what, the, what His plan is or isn't. It doesn't matter. He wants to use me. He wants to, he wants to, to put me somewhere where I will accomplish something for His will. I'm going to be, I'm part of the plan to move His kingdom forward. However small or however big it might be, it doesn't matter. That's up to God. He places us where He chooses. His body is fitly framed together. Whatever assignment God has given us to fulfill, we must pursue it wholeheartedly while recognizing that in John 15:5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Whatever we do or don't do, it's because God is working in us. He's working through us. We need to remember that. It's not, look at everything I'm doing. Look at all that I've accomplished for God. You didn't do anything. Truth be told, it's probably God did this despite you. Despite your rebellion and your stiff-necked and stubborn attitudes. That's the case with me. Jesus is the source of everlasting life. Amen. If we are to be saved, we must believe. Okay? Believe what? What are we supposed to believe? Hebrews 5.9 says, Being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. We understand or need to understand that belief is more than mental assent to a set of facts. Yep, I believe Jesus was an actual person in history. So I'm saved. No, you're not saved. Not if that's all you got. It involves a response of obedience to those facts. It's obedient faith. We need to possess obedient faith to Jesus' command to be born again of water and of the Spirit. Bishop talked about that in the last lesson. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Fulfilled by the Apostle Peter. The day of Pentecost. Acts 2.38 Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, born again of water and of spirit. Amen. It's important for us to understand. We have a very important part in God's plan. We have a very important part to play in His overall will for this city, this county. But at the end of the day, it's Him working through us. We're not people's Savior. Jesus is. And our responsibility is primarily to point people to Him. That's a tough situation you're in. I don't know. I can't say I've ever experienced that. I don't know what I would do except I would take that to God. I know that God can help you. Because this is what God did for me in my time of need. We can pray with people. We can teach them Scripture. We can example Scripture before them in our daily lives. 
the love of Christ, the mercy of God. All of those things are ours to do. But at the end of the day, it's God working in us. It's God working through us, His perfect will. Amen. When we understand that, we understand who Jesus is. We understand who we are in God. We understand what His will is for our lives. We're moving forward. We're doing great things for Him. Let's all stand. Jesus, You're a mighty King. You're a glorious God. I am so thankful, Thou Most High, that it has been Your plan from the very beginning to utilize us, Your people, Your servants, Your children, in this great task that You desire to accomplish. That You have partnered with us. We put Your yoke on, for it is easy. Your burden is light. Thank You, Jesus, for using us mightily, wondrously, according to Your perfect will. I pray, O God, that if we don't already, we would understand these three things. That we would understand who God is. We would have a proper understanding of who You are. That we would have a proper understanding of who we are in You. That we are children of the Most High God. That we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. That we are to rule and reign together with You. Hallelujah, Jesus. And that we would understand what Your will is for our lives. Individually, familially, corporately. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that Your truths would be revealed unto us. That we would receive those truths. That we would run with them. That You would accomplish great and mighty things through Your people. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll take a break and be back at a quarter till for our worship service.